Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Hey, hey. Well, good morning. Uh, Grace and peace to everybody on this beautiful Sunday morning. What a delight and honor it is to be gathered with you guys virtually Uh, Would you do me a favor and just let somebody know that we are live, share this link with somebody, let them know that we are over here trying to get into the word of God, speak in Jamaican patois and English and all of it is for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. Uh, As you share this link with somebody, let let me just quickly uh, say to everybody that's piped in, I am glad you are here. You were were already welcomed, but I just want to express just my gratitude for those of you who are staying connected and staying dialed in specifically to uh, the word of God. You know, I think sometimes we forget how much the church really aids in our spiritual formation, in our spiritual maturity, in our spiritual uh, walk. And so I'm grateful if you are logged in. I understand. I, in fact, I shot it out on Facebook this morning how a lot of people are just virtually fatigued and, and tired and, and tired of being logged on. But man, you guys log on every single Sunday and I'm grateful uh, because your boy would be lonely in these uh, gospel streets if you weren't here. So grateful for you. And I pray that you were taking your walk with the Lord serious in this pandemic. You know, we are still in the midst of a crazy season, uh, but I pray that you are taking it serious and that you are getting in the word of God and that you are spending time in prayer and, and all of those things. You're, you're fighting in purity and all of those things that, uh, that the Lord requires us to do. He never saves us with the intent that we would stay the same, but he saves you with the intent that you would grow. And so my hope and prayer is that our time together in the word of God uh, really helps to push you toward a spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. As you're grabbing your Bibles, why don't you go to 1 Peter chapter 2. For those of you who are, as they say, paper saved, paper Bible saved, grab your physical copies. And if you are uh, technology saved, why don't you grab your phones or your devices and get to 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to spend our time today. As you turn there, shout out to Pastor Timmy and Io on uh, the birth of their son, uh, Nathaniel. Uh, AKA NJ. I have no clue if they're watching. They are probably extremely busy, but uh, shout out to them. Would you do me a favor and just show them some love in the chat room? Put up a little baby emoji or throw out some hearts out to Pastor Timmy and Lady Aya. We are grateful for them. Uh, Ty and I got to FaceTime with uh, with the family a couple of days ago and uh, man, just got to pray over Nathaniel and, and, and look at him in his first few hours of life, at least life outside of the womb, I should say. And uh, man, what a blessing children are. Psalm 127, children are a heritage from the Lord. The Bible says, blessed is the man who has a quiver full of them. And so I am uh, so overjoyed by uh, the birth of Pastor Timmy and Lady Io's son. And as that family transitions back at home, if you would just commit some time this week to pray for them. I don't know exactly when they're going back home, uh, but if you would take some time to pray for them. And if they're logged on now, I see y'all throwing up the hearts and uh, the baby emojis. If you would continue those just in case they see them, it would be a huge encouragement. All right, First Timothy, uh, First Peter, excuse me, First Peter, chapter two. We are, um, man, we're getting closer and closer to this election. Uh, I know many of you have voted. I have voted earlier this week. Ty and I voted 
Um, and many of you have already voted and some of you are preparing to vote. And um, I, I just I think today in our last installment of Rigged, I just have some practical application for how Christians should view and even operate within a system of, of government or nation, a nation that is uh, has a government over it. Uh, it really doesn't matter your political view. It, it, it really doesn't. It doesn't matter your, your political preference in terms of uh, what party you, you subscribe to and what news channel you watch. It doesn't matter. Honestly, all of us, according to Scripture, have an obligation to participate in shaping what democracy looks like in the nation that you lived. I don't even know if everybody piped on right now is from the U.S. I know we have some people that watch overseas and uh, whatever nation you are a part of, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with its policies or not, we all have a obligation to participate in democracy. And I think Peter's going to lay that out well for us. Uh, so if you could get to 1 Peter 2, I'm just going to jump right in. Pick me up in verse 13. Pay attention to the first two words. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God underline or make, make note of this next phrase that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. But live as servants of God. Watch this chiasm here. Honor, the, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the emperor. I, I want to preach today from the topic entitled Christians Engaging Government. Would you do me a favor and just type that in just in case somebody pops in a little bit later. Christians Engaging Government. Let's pray before we dig in. Uh, Father, may your word penetrate our hearts today as we dig into your word. It's in Christ's name we give all glory and praise. Amen. Christians engaging government. As a pastor, I get asked a ton of questions. For some odd reason, I think that people truly think that pastors uh, really know everything about every topic. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, most pastors, if they're honest, they'll tell you that we come across a lot more stronger in the pulpit than we actually are. But for some reason, people think the pastors know everything about everything. And so people will always ask me a bunch of questions. I get questions on relationships. I get questions on business advice. I get questions, even though I don't know a lot about how to start businesses, I get questions on life. Who should I marry? What school should I go to? Where should I live? What degree should I pursue? But one of the questions I've been getting asked more and more and more as we move toward this election is this question of what is the actual separation of church and state? Well, what is the separation between Christianity and government? How should Christians operate in government? And rightfully so, there should be a separation between church and state. But you should also acknowledge that there is some overlap between church and state. Here's a separation. The church has its job and the government has its job. For, for example, the church 
is not supposed to balance the national budget. The church is not supposed to be governing the military. And likewise, the government is not supposed to be doing evangelism or administering the sacraments. But there is an, uh, an overlap that we must acknowledge. Here it is. Both institutions are, or, 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 they are ordained by God. They are both necessary in order to move God's will here on earth. I don't know if you know this, but there's three institutions that God has instituted in scripture, but also ordained as part of what he uses to move his will here on earth. Here are the three institutions. He ordained the institution of family. That's Genesis chapter two. He ordains government and he ordains the church. Those are the three major institutions that God himself ordained. In other words, the family is God's idea. The church is God's idea. The government is God's idea. Not man, but God's idea. There is never an election that someone wins the election and God is surprised. He's never in heaven going, man, I did not see that one coming. No, he's fully aware. In fact, when he formed the earth before the foundations of the earth, he knew who would be elected in 2016. He knew, knew who would be elected in 2020. And even though you may have mailed your ballot in or you're going to the, to the uh, polling place to cast your vote, God already knows the outcome of the election. And the reason he knows is two reasons. Number one, he is sovereign. But number two, he ordained the institution of government. He's never surprised by it. And so government is God's idea. There is a great African theologian by the name of Augustine that says this, government is, necess is a necessary evil because it is necessary because of evil. So here's the question that you and I should wrestle with as we read scripture, live life, and look at the government. The question we should ask is, how do I get into it? How, how, do, I, how do I operate into this government? And I think Peter today is going to bring balance and he's going to give clarity. He's going to answer the questions, how Christians should operate in the nation, how Christians should operate in government. Why don't we dig in? I told you to make note of the first two words of verse 13. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to, watch what it says, the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Let me lift up the first two words again. Be subject. If you note here, Peter is not giving a suggestion here that this is not a good idea. Peter is not saying, I think that you should be subject to governing institutions. That is not what Peter is saying. Peter gives an imperative that this, that this language he uses is a strong command. He is saying, be subject. Ultimately, what he is saying is he's pushing the idea of submission under the government. He's pushing this idea, stay with me. He's pushing this idea of being submissive. And one of the things I've learned as a pastor is most of the times I know that we don't like being subject to anything. We don't like being submissive to anything, even if it's a great institution, even if it's a great government, even if it's a great husband, we don't like the idea of submission. Submission, for some reason, seems like a weakness, but can I promise you, submission is not weakness. Submission is actually strength under control. Would you type that in? That submission is not weakness. 
But submission is strength under control. Because if submission was weakness, then we would have to go on record and say Jesus was weak. Because when I read scripture, I understand that Jesus was fully submitted to God the Father. In other words, for you to be submissive in general, not, not just to the government, but for you to be submissive in general, it is, you to be, it, it is for you to be more Christ-like. It means you are growing in your Christ-likeness. As much of a beast as Jesus was, as much of a leader as Jesus was, he was still humble enough to submit to his father. Y'all remember in Luke chapter 22 where Jesus was in the garden and the Bible says that Jesus was crying and he was sweating out drops of, uh, his sweat was like drops of blood and then he wanted to allow this thing to pass. He says, Father, let this cup pass. But then what does he say? Here's submission. Father, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, you and I get salvation because Jesus did not see submission as a weakness, but saw it as a conduit to bring you and I salvation. Without submission, we would not have experienced salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. Submission is not a weakness. Jesus is co-equal with the Father. Jesus is co-equal with the Holy Spirit. It is the triune God. But even though he is co-equal when he came down to earth, Philippians says he emptied out himself and became fully submissive to his father. There was never a moment that Jesus was not submissive to his father. He was submissive to God the Father in all things at all times. And so submission in and of itself is not a bad thing. So here's what Peter says. Now, now that I got you understanding that submiss submission is not a weakness, but is a strength, be subject to the human institutions. Peter is very clear here that the ultimate allegiance is to God. But even though your ultimate allegiance is to God and his kingdom, as believers, we still have a op, a, an obligation and responsibility to submit to human authorities based on God establishing the government, based on God establishing those who are in office right now. It starts with the emperor, according to this text. And then it goes down to lesser governing authorities. It goes down to the governors. He, he says emperor being the highest rank. And then he says governors being lesser rank. And even when he says governors here, he's not talking about the elected officials. He's not talking about governor Andrew Cuomo, like you and I would think he's talking about. He's talking about all local authorities. He's saying be subject to local judges, be subject to local commissioners, be subject to civil magistrates, be subject to down to parking attendants. And I know we don't like that. Yeah, you got to pay your parking bills, your parking tickets. What P Peter is saying is be subject even if you break the law. Submitting means I obey the laws of the land. I run a red light. I will get a ticket and I have to pay that ticket. You still, you will get arrested and you should get arrested. You scam the IRS and you will go to jail. Submitting to governing authorities is what Jesus is getting at. You know, there, there's a moment in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus is tried. They, they, tr they actually try Jesus, though he's not fully God and fully man. They tried Jesus. The Pharisees, I love the song, try Jesus, not me. They tried Jesus. And they said, man, tell us, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus flips it on him. He says, all right, do, do me a favor. Go get your boy a, co a coin. 
They, they brought him a denarius. And when he looked at it, he said, whose inscription is on the coin? And they said, the, the inscription on the coin is Julius Caesar. He said, okay, then give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God that which is God. Ultimately, what Jesus was saying was submit to the governing authorities. Yes, you should pay taxes. Well, Pastor B, I hear you, but I ain't feeling the government. I'm not, I'm not feeling those who are in charge. Judges tend to rule unfairly. Attorney generals make the wrong call. There's corruption amongst the police department. Parking attendants just want to fill a quota. But even though we live in a system that we may not agree with, what we don't see happening in verse 13 is Peter is not giving them a disclaimer to verse 13. He's not saying submit if that is a good nation or a fair nation, he simply says, submit. That, that, that rubs some of us the wrong way. That makes some of us feel like, God, you really want me to submit to this nation's laws when the laws are often skewed toward people that, that look like me. They, 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 I'm on the opposite end of, end of justice all the time. You want me to submit? And here's what Peter says. Yes. I, I know that's hard for you to, it's a hard pill for us to swallow, but... I want us to understand the times in which 1 Peter was written. 1 Peter was written in the years between 60 and 65 AD. It doesn't take much to use a simple Google search to know who was in charge, who was the emperor. Paul, Peter literally says, submit to every human institution. He points out, submit to the emperor as supreme. Now, this is crazy to me because the emperor at the time he writes this, if I know my history right, was Nero Claudius Caesar. He reigned between 37 and 68 AD. So when this letter drops to the church, you got to understand that he is telling them to be submissive to an emperor that is extremely wicked. You should look up Nero's wickedness. I mean, this is Nero that literally murdered anyone who got in his way, including his wife, including his mother, including his stepbrother. Like, look, I got into some arguments with family members, but murder never crossed my mind. Nero was extremely wicked. History shows me that many Christians were tortured and killed under Nero. The history shows me that many Christians were nailed to the cross and their bodies were lit on fire at night for the, to light up and illuminate the nightly festivities. History shows me that Nero literally took a little boy, had him castrated, and married him. This is the Nero that we're talking to, uh, talking about. And so, listen, I know you ain't feeling the government. I got you. I know you're not feeling those in charge. I got you. But you got to understand something. Trump looks like a choir boy compared to Nero. Yet, Peter says, submit to the emperor. Yet Peter says, don't buck against the system in a way that will cause you to be out of line with being subject to those who are in leadership. And here's why I didn't move to Canada after 2016. The reason is because it doesn't just say be subject. It says be subject. Watch this. For the Lord's sake. I should be able to be subject for the Lord's sake. I'm not telling you to submit if the government is tell telling you to do something 
that is evil or sinful or will cause you to go against the very laws of God. I'm not telling you to submit to something that will cause you to go back on your commitment to God. I think this, for the Lord's sake, gives us a loophole to to operate in what's called civil disobedience. You tell me to do something where I see perverted justice or I see something going on that is contrary to what God says, I then can operate into civil disobedience. I'm subject as long as things are going well. Don't don't miss this. Please don't miss civil disobedience. It's all throughout the scriptures. Go back to Exodus chapter 2. The Bible says that Pharaoh told the Hebrew midwives, kill every firstborn son. Killing is against the light, the, the protecting the imago Dei, the image of God. And so the Hebrew, two Hebrew midwives named Sifra and Pua said, nah, 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 we can't, we can't kill the babies. And so they operate in what's known as civil disobedience. They said God's law trumps, no pun intended, trumps man's law. God's law supersedes man's law. So you tell me to kill the babies. I can't kill the babies. Why? Because I got to protect life. And so when I see life in the streets, when I see people sleeping in their house and, and, and people come in and kill life, I got to operate in civil disobedience. Say, wait, 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 I'm subject but I'm not that subject. At some point, I got to call you out for the wrong and perverted justice. You see civil disobedience in places like Daniel chapter three, the Bible says that King Nebuchadnezzar builds a ark and uh, builds a a monument of himself. And he asks everybody to bow down and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, "We, we we can't do that, King, because we are submitted to worshiping God, not man. You see it in places like Acts where the Bible says that Peter and John go into the synagogue and the, the leaders, the, the Jewish leaders at that time told them to stop talking about Jesus. Do not preach in the name of Jesus. They literally walk out of the synagogue and they start preaching when they walk out. This is called civil disobedience. So I am subject, but I also can critique when you are off of what God calls us to be. You, you got to understand what civil disobedience. I am subject to the governing authorities, but the moment I see injustice, the moment I see a perversion of justice, the moment I see something that is contrary to what God has called us to be on the earth, I got to call you out then. Submission doesn't mean following the government into sin. We submit, but we speak out against injustice. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian that was from Germany during the Holocaust that called out Hitler. It was him that said to speak is, to not speak is to speak. You got to understand, silence is actually you saying something very loud. It means that you are, are complicit with what you see. But as Christians, I'm never, I'm never complicit. I submit, but I critique. I submit, but I call out. I submit, but I protest. I submit, but I say that was unjust. So the Bible says here in verse number 13, don't miss it, be subject. Then he gives us a clause, for the Lord's sake. Where am I subject? To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors sent by him to punish. Watch this, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is, you know, I, I, I chuckled at this when I saw this earlier. He, he says human, governor, human governments have really two jobs, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. I don't know if you see that in verse 14. That, that is your job, to punish those who do evil 
and to praise those who do good. In fact, Paul literally affirms what Peter says. Can you pull up for me, tech team? Pull up for me Romans chapter 13. I just simply want to read it for you because in Romans chapter 13, Paul says the exact same thing that Peter says. He says in a little bit different way, but he, 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 he ultimately has the same thesis as Peter. He says in verse 1, Romans chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Stay with me. Same words. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does bear the sword in vain. It says for he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. Peter and Paul both affirm that the essential elements of the government is to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Unfortunately, here in this country, we have a skewed version of it. We do not punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Oftentimes we punish those who do good, a.k.a. Breonna Taylor sleeping in her house. And we do the opposite. We praise those who do evil. And so when you see that, you submit, but at the same time, you speak out and say, wait, 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 aren't you supposed to protect life? Wait, 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 aren't you supposed to punish those who do actual evil? Not the opposite way around. We have a perverted justice in the church as an obligation to speak out against this injustice. Since Christians are identified with God, our submission to government bears witness for God. Let me say that again. Since Christians are identified with God, our submission to government bears witness for God. Peter pushes this idea of even though I'm in the midst of chaos and a, and a government that often operates contrary to scripture, I still have an obligation to speak out. Watch this. And do good. Just because I see government being perverted doesn't mean I then misuse my conduct. In life. In fact, that's exactly what Peter's going to get at. Now, watch this. If we stop at verse 14, our involvement in government is extremely passive. Be subject, submit. If that is the only thing you and I are supposed to do, then we're very passive. But Peter says, now, 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 I want you to be subject, but there's some things that I actually want you to do as you go throughout this life, your time on earth. Here's what I want you to do, verse 15. Hope y'all are tracking with me. Verse 15, here's your responsibility after being subject, for this is the will of God. It says that by doing good, that's your responsibility. You should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up. Here it is, but living as servants to God. Peter essentially is getting at this idea of challenging Christians to live faithful attractive, morally upstanding lives, even in the midst of a chaos and even in the midst of a government that often does not have morality. Peter is saying, I, I, I know what the government looks like. I know what your elected officials look like, but my body, you do good. That's exactly what he's saying. 
Believers should operate in a system and in a world that we are the model of what everybody else should look like. Christians should be the best citizens. Christians should be Christians should be the one that are upholding the law, but we should all also be the ones that are shaping the law. Don't get me wrong here. I'm saying vote because I want you to vote people in office that uphold what God is telling us to do throughout scripture. He's saying, don't let the corruption of evil government stop you from doing good. Have moral character. Do not be influenced to do wrong, but actually do the opposite. Influence those around you to do good. Peter is asking you to be present in the world because the world is in desperate need of models of what Christ looks like when he lived on the earth. In fact, if you need a model of what it looks like to live an upstanding life, we look to Jesus. In fact, if you go down, I'm not going to preach it, I promise, because I don't want to be here till 5 o'clock this afternoon. But if you look at verse 22 in the same exact chapter, look at what it says about Christ. It says, he, meaning Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus was perfect at all times. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For though he knew no sin, he became sin. Don't miss this. He knew no sin. He lived a perfect life. I, I think the greatest example of this is how he dies on a cross between two thieves. In the midst of thieves being around him, he still operated in perfect submission and having a perfect life. Jesus is our model of doing good. The government needs to see salt and light. Your neighborhood needs to see salt and light. Your elected local officials need to see salt and light because the Bible literally says here in verse 15 that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Christians, we should be the model of justice. Christians should be the model of character. Christians should be the model of integrity. When we see injustice, we got to be the first ones to say that's wrong because that, that's not how Christ told us to live. We should be the model, and unfortunately, we've been looking to the White House to, uh, to, to really be the model of what people in the church house should be. Let me say that again. We got to stop looking for the White House to do what the people in the church house should be doing. What should we be doing? We should be modeling moral character. Here's the reality. Many of us want to critique the White House when we ain't being good followers of Jesus. We, we want to critique government when we haven't submitted to the government of God's kingdom called the church. Don't tell me about the U.S. government if you're not living up to God's government. Don't tell me about the U.S. government when you're not supporting God's government. Don't tell me about the U.S. government if you're not giving to God's government called the church. Many of us want to critique the White House, but you ain't even doing nothing for the church house. Oh, God, I, I feel like I'm getting a little angry, so let me back up here. There, there, there's a... There's a quote by a guy named Ron Snyder in his book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. Here's what he says. He says, do you know that the average American Christian only gives, don't miss this, 2.5% of their annual income to the Lord? 2.5. If the American church would just tithe a larger portion of their income, we could cure global hunger. Watch this, for good. If all the believers that were believing church going believers would give just a little bit more than 2.5% of their income. We wouldn't have to look for government to solve global hunger. The church house could do it. 
But unfortunately, we too busy on, did you see what Trump did? Now, don't get me wrong. I ain't feeling Trump either. But we so busy saying, look what this person did. Look what that elected official did. Do you see what Biden did in 94? Did you? And we're pointing at all this stuff. Yet we lack character. And here's what the Bible just says. You do good. That, that, I mean, I, I don't know if you don't like that, rip it out, but it's going to be in another Bible. It's going to be on another app somewhere. The Bible literally says, you do good. Don't worry about corrupt government. You do good. Don't worry about who gets in office. You do vote, but don't worry about it. You do good. Don't worry about what perversion of justice you see. Fight it, call it out, but you remain faithful to the Lord. We need more believers that have character. We need more believers that have integrity. We need more believers that are walking with the Lord instead of, listen, if you have no character, you are disqualified from critiquing any president. If you have trusted in the name of Jesus Christ and you are going through the sanctification process, meaning you are spiritually maturing, yet you, and if you lack spiritual maturity and character and all you do is call out the government, you are actually disqualified from calling out the government. Here's what the scripture says, you do good. Because it is our good that attracts those that don't know the Lord. And many of us have been unfaithful witnesses. We've been bad models of what Christ looks like. But yet we call out everything Trump does. We call out everything Biden does. And the problem is God is like, listen, they operate in the way they want to operate. But the church got to live up to integrity and character. There's an anonymous quote that says a spoonful of honey will catch more flies than a gallon of vinegar. You, with your attractive life, could bring people into the kingdom. I, you should have somebody next to you going, so let me ask you a question. What is it about you that makes you so different? You got to point back here and say, I'm subject to the laws, but I also live with integrity and character. So the Bible says here, you do good. Shine the light in darkness. Believers, be growing in your conduct. Epiphany Church, I'm really talking to you. If you are still operating the, the, the way you were the day you met Christ, something is wrong. We got to grow in our character. We got to grow in our integrity. We got to grow in our devotion. How you got the Holy Spirit and you ain't growing? Galatians 5 says the Holy Spirit comes. He brings the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 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 gentleness. Some of us are slanderers. We are not nice to people. We nasty. We got bad attitudes, but you got the Holy Spirit. But yet you want to call out everything else the government does. And I'm, I know I'm preaching a little bit harder today to some of you, but you need to say ouch and amen today. Because some of us have lacked character, but yet we call out everybody else's character. It's called sanctification. Christians not living up to integrity is an oxymoron. We should be growing in our character. So Peter says here in verse 15, for by doing the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people, watch this, who are free. You're seeing this and he's going to use the same word again. Not using your freedom as a cover-up but live as servants to God. Two times in this verse, he talks about freedom. What is freedom? What, what is, I think some of us have a skewed view of what freedom is. Man, when I was living in my parents' house, right before I got married to Ty, I, I, man, I, I, when I tell you, I would say things like, man, I can't wait to get out of my parents' house. Really what I was saying was, I can't wait to get from underneath these rules because I really thought that freedom was a absence of rules. That's not freedom. That's chaos. 
Don't you miss this. We need government. We just need just government. We, we need laws. We just need just laws that apply to everybody, not just one, one group of elite in the majority culture. We need laws that apply to everybody. We need fair, equal laws, but nevertheless, we need laws because many of us think that lawlessness is freedom. That is not freedom. That's chaos. If you got on Atlantic Avenue right now, right here by Albany, and you rode from Atlantic Avenue to the Barclays Center, for those of you who are from Brooklyn, and there were no lights there, there, were, there were no stop signs. You, you could, it was lawless. You could drive any way you want. You wouldn't get a ticket. The, the cops would say, go ahead and do your thing. You could ride backwards. You could speed 150 miles. You could jump over under the underpass and jump to the other ongoing traffic. You could do all of this stuff. None of us would say that that's freedom. We would say that that's chaos and it's dangerous. And so he says, live as people who are free. Ultimately, what he is saying is you need government because freedom operates well within a set of rules. The problem is we don't have just freedom. We don't have just laws. And here's why I need you to vote. Here is why you and I, if you have not voted, got to go to the box. And you got to put your ballot in because you need to vote people in that are lawmakers. You need to vote people in. You think just Biden and Trump is on the daggone ballot? No, the Supreme Court nominees are on the ballot. Judges are on the ballot. But different political offices and congressmen and state representative and legislators are all on the ballot. Attorney generals are on the ballot. And so the reason I vote is because I want to see true freedom. Not, not an absence of laws, but I want to see true democracy. I'm not telling you to vote Democratic. I'm not telling you to vote Republican. I'm telling you to be an independent believer that votes kingdom principles into office. Freedom is on the line. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but some of you have withdrawn from government and you're operating as though you don't, because you don't like the country and, and you don't like the history and I don't either. But that doesn't mean that we get a, 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 a uh, we, we get to act as though any way we want to, we get to live as lawless people. God is like, no, no, no. Freedom really is surrounded around boundaries. That, that's real freedom. Freedom is do whatever you want. Freedom is doing whatever you want within boundaries. I got a fire pit in my backyard. It's, I know it's illegal. Y'all talking about living in, with integrity. Y'all got to pray for the pastor. I got a, a fire pit in my backyard. And uh, years ago, I lit it up. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because a fire pit in and of itself has boundaries around it. You, you can create a fire inside of a fire pit. But that fire outside of the boundaries is very dangerous. That same fire that you light and you want it to stay hot and you want it to, you want it to warm you up on a chilly night, that same fire will burn down the block if it goes outside of the boundaries. And many of us want to live in a nation that is lawless. And God is like, no, I don't want you to live in a lawless nation. I want you to live within the fire pit. I just need y'all to have real just laws that reflect me and reflect my character. How Will you represent God at the ballot box in a few weeks? If you've already voted, how did your vote represent God? Listen, you are not voting for America's pastor. So everybody's compromising on something. What are you willing to say? Ah, this still, this right here will push my agenda, push our agenda to look more just. What, what, what is it that you will put on your ballot. Now, I'm not telling you who to vote for. That is not my responsibility, but I am telling you, you and I have an obligation to participate in democracy. Be subject.
live godly, walk in freedom. Let's pray. I want to pray for somebody today that is struggling with the government and struggling, struggling with the laws that are before us. I get it. Listen, I'm going to be honest with y'all. Sometimes I preach stuff that I haven't mastered. This text, sometimes it feels like it rubs me the wrong way, especially the B subject. Like, God, do you, do you see who's in office? Like, God, like God I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but are you, are you seeing what's going on? Sometimes I have a hard time with this idea of be subject. But I realize that God knows what he's doing. Like, real talk, in 2016, God didn't wake up and go, oh my God, I, for, I forgot to, to put the right person in office. God ordained it and knew what he was doing. I have no clue how God is working this thing out. But I trust him. I believe in him. I believe that he created the the institution of family and the institution of church and he created the institution of government. So I'm going to participate as much as I can, even though sometimes I don't like what I see and my dad going short on like the history of this nation. But I'm going to still participate because I understood that Peter wrote this in the time that Rome wasn't that just. Rome wasn't that fair. Nero wasn't that nice. But yet he participated. Father, I pray for somebody today. I realize, oh God, how many people are anxious and wrestling right now. I realize how we look down the, look down the list of candidates and none of them look good to us. I know that, Lord. I, I see that. But Lord, let us vote with the Holy Spirit governing us. Not only that, but Lord, let us stop looking for government to do the things that we should be doing. Would you help somebody today in the midst of this pandemic to grow in their faithfulness to you? Many of us have friends that don't know the Lord and they're looking to us to be the model of what Christ looks like. But unfortunately, we've took down our Christianity so that we can make them comfortable. But Father, would you forgive us? Help us to take advantage of every opportunity to show forth you. Help us to take advantage of those opportunities where we miss gospel witness by our life. Forgive us for proclamation that doesn't line up with our demonstration. Forgive us, oh God. And I pray, oh God, that as we engage the government and we engage culture and we engage the world, pray that we would do so based on Matthew 5, that we will be salt and light for your glory and for your honor. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, man, it's good hanging out with y'all. I got one more week with y'all before election day. We are, we are stopping our rig series today, but many of you are voting right now. I pray that you would do so prayerfully and considering texts like Romans 13 and considering texts like 1 Peter chapter 2. In fact, I encourage you for the rest of this week, do a devotion through the rest of 1 Peter. Look how Peter encouraged these believers to live even under a government that was not centered on Christ's values. Why don't you receive this doxology today as we end our time? It was good hanging out with y'all virtually. Now unto him who was able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. Grace and peace to y'all. I love y'all, man, and I miss y'all.